As Candace mentioned in her opening words, this is the first Sunday, the first message in our Refresh Sermon Worship Series that'll carry us through June and through July. Uh, and as it happens, I just had a week of refreshment on vacation in North Carolina, our family, our immediate family, and extended cousins and in-laws and nieces, nephews, all that, were together uh, in one house enjoying the beach of North Carolina in, in Emerald Island and feeling refreshment together. So I feel like I am beginning this sermon series on just the right note, although we got back at 8 o'clock last night and I'm still a little like, what's happening back here? I still got one foot back in the sand. So anyway, I'll get here. Don't worry. Uh, and similarly, we hope that this sermon series, this worship series, which also, you know, takes place on Sundays and on the Tuesday evenings that Candace mentioned earlier, is an opportunity for all of us to experience some refreshment and sort of click that refresh button for our souls, even as our church in this centennial year goes through some significant refreshment as well. And, and you know, what is worship and community but a, an opportunity for refreshment, the church might just be one big refreshment center, and so we hope we'll be grounded in that together. Uh, we've chosen some scripture passages which, in our opinion, have some great moments of refreshment and renewal, God doing something powerful in the life of, uh, of God's people, and we have these uh, titles that we've imagined being like, you know, cocktail uh, names or mocktail names for each of the Sundays that we're going to be journeying through this refreshing series together, and uh, today is God's Water Breaks, to remind us that uh, this moment of creation is a birthing of, of being that comes from God, our Mother, which is a kind of introduction, this title, and I hope the topic today, into the wonderful, fascinating, mysterious subject of God and gender, and the gender of God. Gender, as you probably noticed, is one of the hot topics of our time. It's possible that gender is being looked at in a way that it never has, and it's sort of under the microscope in a way that has never been at any other time, which, at least according to me, which is striking because gender is everywhere. You would think we would have given it a little more attention before uh, just now. We live in a highly, highly gendered world. Gender is everywhere. Now, it's not true in English, but in, in Romance languages, everything is gendered, which for me was always one of the hardest parts about learning French and, and my, my terrible Spanish is, how do you know what the gen, how do we, why is this table here feminine? What, what makes this table, you know, it's a whole thing you have to master in romance languages. Well, here in Atlanta, we've taken gender to a new level. We even have gendered buildings. That's something unique to us, perhaps. Our clothing is gendered. Department stores are immediately gendered. Uh, most of our bathrooms are still gendered. Everywhere we go, we are reminded of gender. And gender happened to each one of us. As soon as we were born, the doctor took one look at our anatomy and assigned a sex to us, which then brought all sorts of assumptions 
about our gender as well without our consent. Nobody asked us how we felt about the sex and the gender that was being assigned to us. And for many of us, our culture's definitions of gender, even if we identify with the gender we were assigned at birth, might be something we struggle with if we, if we don't fit the mold. It might be something we feel really limits us and limits who God has created us to be. I remember my grandfather snapping at me, coming down hard on me when I did something or said something that he thought was too feminine or too effeminate or to, in his language, don't act like a girl, don't talk like a girl. And I don't even remember to this day what exactly it was that I said or did that would prompt him to say things like that, but I totally remember how it felt. And that, I mean, that's a really small example in my life compared to what I know many people deal with on a daily basis. For those who do not identify with the sex and gender assigned to their birth, the journey can be really challenging. And those journeys have come into greater consciousness now as we're learning about the trans life and experience and raising all sorts of fascinating, important, and blessedly uncomfortable questions about gender. What is a woman? What do we mean by that term? What is a man? What do we mean by man or male? Masculinity, femininity, what do those terms mean? And the truth is, there's a lot we don't know. But what we do know is that assigning gender based on anatomy is not a reliable starting point. And here's where I think it gets really complicated, interesting, and even dangerous. We've done the same thing to God. We've assigned a gender to God without God's consent. We've decided that God is male. And, and this is one of the most famous depictions of God from Michelangelo, this really intensely masculine figure who's also wearing a pink dress. So maybe Michelangelo was trying to slide some new consciousness or new thinking in there. But anyway, I say we have assigned a gender to God because at least in the biblical tradition in which we stand, there is absolutely no point in Scripture when God says, I am male. Does not happen. Therefore, all of our gendered statements about God in Scripture are assigned. They do not come directly from God. So it's important to ask, well then, upon what basis have we assigned male gender to God? Traditionally, gender has been assigned on the basis of anatomy. So does that mean God has male anatomy or other features? Is, is that what we mean? Well, that can't be right because our tradition affirms that God is spirit and does not have a body, so there goes the anatomy thing. In fact, I know of only one biblically-based tradition that says God has, literally has, an actual human body, and that body just happens to be male, and that's Mormonism. Mormons believe that God has 
an actual male body. But for the rest of us, that's not typically something that we affirm despite the language. So the logic of saying God is male is not that well thought out, if you ask me. It's a little confusing, but the social impact is pretty clear and intentional. As one theologian famously said, if God is male, then male is God. I would suggest that this, the maleness of God, has done some incredible damage. And it sits really deeply in many of us. Maybe most of us are still working with that male idea that male imagery of God, it, it is not easy to shake. It's hard to separate God from maleness, which is why an increasing number of people reject Mr. God altogether. Most atheism, I found, is particular to some version, understanding, or image of God, usually some version of what I call sky guy, a very anthropomorphic being, basically a human with superpowers, an older, buff, white male with a beard floating around in the clouds. Well, as it happens, I'm an atheist too when it comes to that picture of God. I mean, that is not an understanding or a vision of God I think we should affirm, much less worship. Now, I do want to, I do want to pause at this point and just say that if the language of God as Father is really sacred and important to you, and that's where you land spiritually, I, I want to bless you in that. There's, that's, not, that's not wrong. You don't need to change that. But maybe, you know, mix it up a little. Maybe at least consider the implications of exclusively male imagery. So, yes, it's hard to deny the Bible mostly portrays God in male terms with traditional ideas about maleness and masculinity, but not exclusively. There is also female and feminine imagery for God in the Bible, and I'm not going to give you all the passages. I encourage you to Google it. Just Google female imagery or verses about God, and you will get the whole list. It is beautiful and fascinating stuff. But the Bible, even in that respect of having both male and female, masculine and feminine imagery for God, doesn't make it very simple or binary. Divine wisdom, for example, in Scripture is always feminine, and yet divine wisdom is always demanding people to toughen up their moral fiber, which might sound in our experience to be kind of masculine. Meanwhile, there are moments in Scripture such as Jesus telling the story of the prodigal son, which could also be titled the story of the compassionate father, and compassion comes from a Semitic word meaning womb-like. So we could rename that parable the parable of the womb-like father. So not even the Bible, drenched as it is in patriarchy, provides a consistent definition of gender. In fact, the more we study the Bible, I've found the more it reveals a startling level of gender fluidity. I think it's pretty clear from Scripture that God 
is gender queer or gender fluid. So it might be better to say even that God is omnigender in that God holds within God's self all gender possibilities and expressions and experiences. So instead of, or maybe in addition to masculine and feminine language for God, it would be even more biblically sound to refer to the three and one God with the singular non-gendered pronoun they. The Bible does it occasionally, but we often miss it. Our English translations obscure it, but you might have caught it in our reading from Genesis 126, what we just heard. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. So God created humankind in the divine image, male and female. God created them. Isn't that incredible? There we have singularity and plurality in the being of God. Maleness and femaleness are both reflections of God's non-binary image. That alone is pretty darn cool. But there's more. The Hebrew word for God in this verse is actually plural. The word is for God is plural, a plural form of a singular God. How's that for mysterious? So a more correct translation of Genesis 1.26 might be, so they created humankind in the divine image. Male and female, they created them. God is genderqueer. Now, I've said before that Jesus may have been genderqueer, non-binary, gender fluid himself. I know this is a, sort of an out there idea, but just, just go with me for a second. If we take the virgin birth at face value, whether or not you do, the virgin birth says that Jesus was conceived without the involvement of a man, and therefore without a Y chromosome, which means it's possible that Jesus was genetically female but presented as male. I don't know. I'm not going to go to the mat on that one, but it is an interesting idea to think about within the doctrine of the virgin birth. And there is a moment in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus affirms a third gender, not necessarily trans folk in the way that we understand trans today, but definitely the equivalent at that time. And Jesus affirms those folks, those who are not male and not female. What else would we expect from a gender-fluid God? Well, here at Virginia Highland Church, as you may have noticed, we like to mix it up when it comes to God's gender. We might refer to God as he or as her or as they or simply as God, not because it's, you know, oh so progressive of, of us, but that's maybe part of our goal, but also because it just matches the gender non-conforming presentation of God in Scripture. And also, it's just an important necessary counterweight to conceiving God in gender binary terms, which we have done.
for way too long. We also tend to use the phrase kingdom of God in the place of kingdom of God. And everybody, every now and then somebody asks me, what's this kingdom thing? Where, where did that come from? Well, once again, it's our reminder, it's our way of distancing ourselves from monarchical and patriarchal language. And as it happens, when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, it was a contrast, a direct statement and difference from the kingdom of Caesar. We have the kingdom of Caesar, which is all about domination and control and power, and we have the kingdom of God, which is all about mutuality and kinship and interdependence. The kingdom of God is why we, what we turn to uh, in that phrase, uh, why it's so important to us here at Virginia Highland Church. The point is God is radically free. God is radically free from all of our boxes and labels that we might assign to God without God's permission. God is always more. So we can, is, is God male? Yes, and more. Is God female? Yes, and more. Is God non-binary, gender fluid? Yes, and more. God is radically free of all of our terms and definitions and language. God includes all genders and goes beyond all gender. And the same is true for us. We are made in the image of God. We are also made to be radically free, which means all of the labels, all of the categories, all the boxes that someone might try to put us into, we're always more than that. Even the names, the identities, which we might claim for ourselves, which can be very life-giving and helpful, we're always more than those as well. In God, with God, we are always more. That is the refreshing good news for today. Amen? Amen. Amen.